would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19, we're going to start in verse 9, and we're going to work all the way through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Exodus 19, 9 through the end of the chapter. I think one of the things that would love for us to, uh, to leave saying and, and leave confessing and, and knowing more within our hearts and minds is that the God of the Bible, um, the one and only true God, he is a holy God, a holy God. But what we see through the testimony of Scripture that, that maybe goes against our assumptions or intuitions about who we would dream up God to be or who we would think him to be is our God is a holy God and he also is a gracious and good God. And so if we were to leave, to leave with a, a good understanding of, of God's holiness, but also the gracious Savior that we have in Jesus Christ, I think if we leave holding those in thought and mind today and in prayer and reflection upon the Word, uh, then that'll be a good day for us. Uh, three things we want to point out from Exodus 19, 9 through 25. We want to see that the Lord condescends to speak to his people. The Lord condescends to speak to his people. Secondly, we want to we see that as he does so, uh, that the, the people can profane the holiness of the Lord. So as the Lord condescends to speak to his people, the people are in danger and are being warned against profaning the holiness of the Lord. And lastly, third, we want to see that Exodus 19 ultimately points towards, or is just a shadow of, a better Moses to come and a better mountain that we are brought to. So a better Moses to come and a better mountain that we are brought to. So let's read the passage, and then we'll work through those three points. Exodus 19, verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set, set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the, like the smoke of kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to go to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, 
and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Let's pray. Most holy God, we do thank you uh, that in your grace and in your mercy, you have come to us and you have spoken to us. Lord God, apart from you and apart from you speaking to us and revealing yourself to us, Lord God, we acknowledge and confess that we cannot know you. So Lord God, we thank you just for the grace and mercy that we have in you giving to us your word, that your word would be given to us, would be kept, would be preserved for our sake so that we might know you. And we thank that in and through it, we thank you that in and through it, you delight to reveal yourself that we might come to know you. So Lord God, we pray that that would happen during this time, that as we do now open your word and study it and read from it, that your Holy Spirit would powerfully be at work accomplishing your good and perfect will, sanctifying your people, giving us eyes to see you more clearly, convicting us where we need it, and also comforting and encouraging us and strengthening us where we need it as well. But also, Lord God, that those who might not know you may have eyes to see that you are a holy God. But in your grace and mercy, you come near even to sinners to reconcile them to yourself. So give us ears to hear that message today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first off, the Lord condescends to his people. So condescend, it's, uh, we oftentimes use that as, you know, don't speak condescendingly. Um, but it's a, a word that gets thrown around in uh, theological circles, uh, that the Lord would condescend to his people. Uh, and so what that means in the positive sense, that the Lord would condescend to his people, it's that he would come down to their level. All right, so as we thinking about the Lord condescending, it's not that he is speaking condescendingly or doing something negative to his people, but rather that something good and gracious and positive is happening. It's that the Lord who is high and holy is coming down. It's where we, who would not be able to see him or know him or hear him, would have no idea who God is, God comes down, he condescends to us. And so the first thing that we want to see from Exodus 19 is that the Lord condescends to speak, to speak to his people. So first we see that that he condescends. What a gracious thing it is that he actually condescends to speak to his people. So notice in verse 9, Behold, I am coming to you. I am coming to you. What a gracious statement we have from the Lord that the Lord would say to his people, I am coming to you. There is nothing that Moses or the people can do, no amount of worshiping that can take place, no amount of persuading that can happen that can get the people to God. You can't twist God's arm to get God to come to us or to allow God to come up to him. 
God is high and God is holy. He inhabits eternity. He dwells in unapproachable light. So how is it that we could come to know the Lord and hear the Lord? It's only possible if a holy God condescends to his people, if he comes down and he does so. Behold, I am coming to you. And he comes down to his people to speak to them. Do we want to know the Lord speaking to us? Would we like to know more of the Lord's presence in our lives? It actually happens through maybe us doing what seems contrary to our nature, to our intuitions. It's not that we need to come to the Lord carrying with us all of our pomp and all of our prestige and all of our wealth and all of our resources and all of our talents and all of our abilities and all of our righteousness and morality and say, Lord, accept me. Lord, come to me. Allow me on up to you because I've earned it. I deserve it. But rather... If we would like to know the Lord's presence and the Lord speaking to us, His revealing Himself to us, we need to come in weakness, in weakness before the Lord, in neediness before the Lord, acknowledging our brokenness before the Lord. I remember one pastor put it this way, if you would like to know the power of God's kingdom coming in your life, Jesus tells you how to do that. John the Baptist tells you how to do that. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Come acknowledging that you do not deserve to know the presence, the nearness, the love of the Lord. And come in neediness and brokenness before him. And so we have this wonderful statement from Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also and also with him who was who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite would we like to know the lord's presence in our life and his love and his grace and his mercy it's that we have to acknowledge that we have no right to draw near him, but to come in our brokenness, our lowliness, our neediness, and to acknowledge that God is holy. And the Lord would say, yes, I inhabit eternity. I am high and lifted up, but I also dwell with those who are of a lowly spirit, with those who are of, have a contrite heart, with those who would repent and come to me in that way. I see whenever I'm not doing that in my life, when I'm not, uh, whenever I'm coming to the Lord and I think that I get to do that because of who I am and the things that I do and the thi- or maybe the things that I avoid doing, if I come to the Lord in anything other than the grace and mercy of the Lord, I'm actually belittling the holiness of God. I'm actually saying I am more than what I am at the Lord, and that the Lord is less than what he is. For me to approach the Lord in anything other than repentance and neediness and brokenness is to belittle the holiness of God. God will not dwell with the prideful, but he will with the lowly of heart. And that's what the Lord delights in.
Behold, I am coming to you. So the Lord condescends to speak with his people in verse 9. Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So what happens? What happens when this God who is high and who is holy, who is lifted up above all, what happens when he condescends to speak with his people? Well, he comes down in a thick cloud. In verse 16, whenever he appears on the morning of the third day, there are thunders and lightnings, a thick cloud on the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast. All the people in the camp tremble. Also, the, there's, the mountain is covered in smoke because the Lord descends upon it in fire. And then not only are the people trembling, but the mountain itself trembles before the glory and the holiness of the Lord. Why does this happen? Why, why does all of this take place when the Lord condescends to speak to his people? Is God putting on a show? Is he busting out the fog machine? right? I'll show them, right? See, the, the laser shows in the, in the heavens. Is God just putting on a show to show how great and glorious he is? Let's consider who the Lord is for just a moment. We remember that the Lord is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is eternal. He is omnipotent. God is God in all of his attributes. He is perfect. He is holy, we see that in the beginning, God creates and brings all things about through mere speech. God creates the heavens and the earth with his words. He is transcendent outside space and outside of time. The Bible gives us human language to understand the holiness and the grandeur and the bigness of God by saying that the Lord is able to hold all of creation in the palm of his hand. We were out on the, on the beach the other night with the kids, they're staying up way too late, but I enjoyed it for what it was because it was a clear night and we're able to see just all kinds of stars in the heavens. I was talking with Ellis and, and all he cared about was the tag game that was going on in the dark. But I was speaking to Ellis, you know, hoping that he would hear that, hey, Ellis, there are more stars in the heavens than there is sand on the earth. And the Lord holds all of this in the palm of his hand trying to give him an idea of the bigness, the glory, the holiness of the Lord. Really trying to give myself a greater understanding of that as well. So if God is high and holy in this way, if God is creator God who exists outside of space and time, what do you think would happen when he would condescend to his people? Would it be anything other than Exodus chapter 19? It's as if the Lord is peeling back the curtains of creation and entering in in some small form or fashion, and this is what happens. When the glory of the Lord would descend upon this mountain, the mountain itself would tremble and shake, and the people likewise with it. Would we expect anything else to happen when the Lord would condescend. This is not a show that the Lord is putting on. This is the natural result of a holy, holy, holy God coming to speak to his people. And he's coming to speak to his people in this way that they might hear him. But before we get to that, before we see that, notice one more point. Why the fire and the smoke? Is because Fire, often in Scripture, represents the holiness of the Lord. 
I forget who it was. You, you read a lot and you, don't, you, you, know, you forget to take citations and all that kind of stuff and make notes for your bibliographies and everything like that. I forget which theologian put it this way, but to say that the holiness of the Lord, or I'm sorry, rather, God's glory is God's holiness. It is the radiance of his holiness. God's glory is the radiance of his holiness. So as the holiness of God descends upon this mountain, the radiance of his glory is pouring forth. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, whenever we see that word for glory, it actually, it, what, it, what's meant there is not just this brightness, but rather weight or significance. So when the weight of God's glory, his holiness, descends upon the mountain, what happens to it? It shakes and it trembles. So he's not putting on a show, but rather he's coming to speak in this way so that his people may hear him speak to Moses and that his people might believe. We see a little bit of this even in the New Testament. In Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 5, we see what happens when the holiness of God appears before mankind. So Peter is fishing. He has no catch. And Jesus comes out and he says, well, Peter, do this, throw your net out in this way, and Peter's unable to haul in the catch of fish because it's so great. What's Peter's response? Is it, wow, cool magic trick you just did there, Jesus? No, rather his response is, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinner. What's happening in that moment? What's happening in that moment is that Jesus, in his holiness, Jesus is walking around as the fullness of God's glory veiled in human flesh. In that moment, Peter catches a glimpse of his holiness and of his glory, of his power, of his sovereignty over creation. And what's Peter's response? Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinner. In Isaiah chapter 6, what happens to Isaiah when he is confronted with the holiness of God? He pronounces judgment upon himself. He says, woe is me, for I am a sinner. I am a man of unclean lips. So the Lord, as he descends upon the mountain and fire and smoke and thick cloud with thunder and lightnings upon this mountain, the Lord condescends to speak to his people, but the Lord is veiling his holiness in some form or some fashion. He is veiling his holiness so as not to consume all of creation. So as the Lord descends in thick cloud, he is causing a bit of his holiness and his glory to appear, but it is veiled. It is veiled. But even at the veiled holiness and glory of the Lord on this mountain, the people tremble, and the mountain trembles before him. So then why come and speak to them in this way? Verse 9 tells us why. And the people may also believe you forever. The people may believe you, Moses, forever. What's, what's the word that Moses is giving them? Moses is coming and is giving them God's word revealed to them. God is giving Moses the laws and the commands. God is speaking to his people that his people would know how to live a life that is pleasing to him. That they would know what displeases the Lord. And so, as the people are getting these commands, the Lord is communicating in this way. He is condescending to speak to his people in this way that they might remember that the Lord who is speaking to them is a holy, holy, holy God who even in his veiled holiness causes the mountain to tremble, 
creation cannot withstand the holiness of a creator God. Yet he would veil his holiness and his glory in this way that they might see and believe. That's what the Lord desires. That's why the Lord is speaking to them in this way. What a gracious thing then we see from Exodus 19 that the Lord would not just come to speak to his people, but that he would speak to his people in this way that they might believe. They might believe that he is the Lord and they would walk according to his word. Don't we ourselves struggle in this way? Don't we struggle to believe and know the Lord to be a holy, holy, holy God? Because God could, have, God could have spoken to Moses in any way. He didn't have to speak in this way. Remember, the people of Israel, they've already experienced God's signs and wonders in the land of Egypt as the Lord graciously and powerfully takes them out from under slavery. But even in their coming out of slavery in the three-month period we've seen until we get to Exodus 19, are the people living in awe of the holiness of their creator God? Are the people living in constant worship of their Redeemer? No, they forget because of what we just sang. Our hearts are prone to wander and they grumble and they sin and they rebel and they complain and they question and they doubt. And so the, Lord, the people need to be reminded of the Lord's holiness. The people need to be reminded of his glory. But notice what's said here in verse 9, that the people may believe you forever. Forever. So then, who does the Lord have in mind when he's speaking about these people believing? Is the Lord condescending to his people in Exodus 19 just for the benefit of the people at the mountain? No. The Lord has future generations in mind. And we could say because the Lord's word is kept and preserved and remembered and given to us that the Lord actually has us in mind as well, which is good and gracious of the Lord because I myself struggle to remember that the God that we worship and the God that we serve and the God that has redeemed is a holy, holy, holy God. We struggle we are prone to forget the holiness of our lord and god so then what's the what do we need what do we need to happen what do the future generations of israelites need to happen in order for them to believe that the god who speaks to them in exodus 19 is their god and he's a holy god they need the word they need the word to constantly be reminded of what the Lord has done. Psalm 111, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. And we, as new covenant people, have something better than even what they had. We have the Holy Spirit who indwells within us. And what is the primary work and ministry of the Spirit? Jesus teaches us in John 14 and John 16 that he would come and he would take all the words that he has spoken to them and remind them of that truth. And so as the Holy Spirit comes and pours into our hearts the love of God, and as the Holy Spirit fills us and leads us, and, and leads us to walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, what is he doing? How does he accomplish and do that work? He does it 
by taking the words of God and writing them and pressing them upon our hearts. Because apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, taking the word of God and writing it and applying it to my heart, I'm not going to know that God is holy. I'm not going to know that God is full of glory. But instead, I'm going to have an inflated view of self and a little view of God. And so God, through the Spirit, takes the Word of God and makes it alive and real to our hearts that we might believe forever. The God that we worship today is the God of Exodus 19. But I know that I so often go throughout my days and weeks grumbling, complaining, questioning, doubting, or just living with a disregard for the holiness of God. And so I need the Holy Spirit to take the word of God and work it into my heart and mind that I might believe forever. And so God in Exodus 19 even has us in mind. What a gracious word that the Lord would condescend to speak to his people. As he does so, though, there's a very dangerous scene. A very dangerous scene. So number two, we see that the people can profane the holiness of the Lord. So as the Lord condescends to speak to his people, and he comes in his holiness and in his glory, even though it is veiled, the people are in danger of profaning the holiness of the Lord. We're going to see how they can profane God's holiness in two ways. But first, we need to see a few things. Sorry, excuse me. First, the people must be prepared for what is to take place. So notice the commands that are given there in verse 10. The Lord says to Moses, You, Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. And so Moses goes down the mountain in verse 14, and Moses consecrates the people. He sets them apart. They wash their garments. And then he gives them the command to be ready for the third day and not to go near a woman. So, admittedly, uh, we don't have a lot of details about what it would have looked like for the people to consecrate themselves. Or rather, I'm sorry, for Moses to consecrate the people. For Moses to set them apart. We see a couple things are entailed in that. They're to wash their garments. And then Moses gives the command for, for, women, or for men not to go near women. So, so something different is taking place. They are being set apart. They are to prepare their hearts and their minds for what is to happen on the third day. They are to prepare their hearts and minds for what's to happen on the third day by readying their bodies in different ways, by by taking these different steps uh, into their everyday life. So they are to be set apart and to prepare themselves for what is to happen because of the severity of the event that's about to happen. Second, we see not just that, but then we get three times the command for the people not to go near the mountain. So if you look in verse 12 and 13, as the Lord will descend or condescend upon the mountain, the people are to not go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch the one who touches the mountain but rather they shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether beast or man, man, woman, child, does not matter. If you go up to the mountain and touch it, or if you touch the mountain, you will be put to death. 
And then in verse 21, we see again the Lord command, make this command, go down and warn the people lest they break, break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. In verse 22, we, th- we see for the third time, also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. In verse 24, go down and come up bringing, uh, come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord lest he break out against them. So three different times we get the command that the people are not to exceed the limits that the Lord has set about. The Lord is going to descend upon the mountain in His holiness and in His glory. But if they exceed the limits that the Lord has set, they will be executed. They will be put to death. So, as we look at these commands and the consequences that come through it, what's our reaction just too harsh from the Lord? Just a little bit too much? They just touch it, right? They just, they accidentally, what if they accidentally touch it? What if they go up a little, what if they just want to, they're just curious, they want to see what's going on. They're to be put to death? And I think one of the things that we might do well to realize is that whenever we rightly see and keep in mind who God is, from what we've already seen in Exodus 19, from, from the way in which the Lord appears, from what we know about the testimony of the Lord from all of Scripture, from Isaiah chapter 6 to Isaiah chapter 15, we can even go to the end of the Bible and look at Revelation and see, be reminded of the holiness of the Lord. The Lord is not being harsh. The Lord is not being too strict with His people, but rather, this is what happens. These are the natural consequences when people break the commands of the Lord and exceed the limitations that the Lord has set about because the Lord is holy, 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 and we are not. We are not. So we're reminded, Isaiah chapter 6, he pronounces judgment upon himself. What would happen to these people? They come near the mountain, they touch it, they're to be put to death. And so we see from the testimony of Scripture that sinners apart from the Lord Jesus... We see this in the New Testament. Sinners on the day of judgment, apart from the Lord Jesus, what are they crying out? They're crying out that the, that the rocks would come and crush them, rather than seeing and beholding the holiness of the Lord. They would rather be crushed. They would rather be put to death than have to see and behold the holiness of the Lord. This is the natural consequences of what happens when sinners break through, when sinners exceed the limitations that they, that the Lord has set about, and they come near to a holy, holy, holy Lord. Notice in verse 21 the wording of the command. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look. So if As we work through Exodus, we're going to see that Moses is actually on top of the mountain talking and speaking with the Lord for a considerable amount of time. And so we might have this thought that as the people become more and more familiar or accustomed to the holiness and the grandeur and the glory of the Lord, that that familiarity would actually cause them to disregard the holiness of the Lord. They become so familiar with with what they're seeing, with what they're experiencing, that they would neglect the commands of the Lord. 
oh, Moses is up on the mountain. He's been fine these 40 days or so. Why don't I just take a little peek to look up and see what's going on? That, that's good, right? Well, no, it's not. So the Lord gives the command, don't do that. Don't even break through to look, lest the Lord himself would break out against the people. So, we see that the first way in which they can profane the holiness of the Lord is by exceeding the limitations that the Lord has set about. The second way that they can profane the holiness of the Lord is this. What if the people were to hear the commands of the Lord, which is this, that whenever they hear the trumpet blast, they are to come to the mountain. Remember, they're not to come up the mountain. They're not to touch it, but they are rather to come to the mountain. What if the people remain in their tents? What if the people remain in the camp? With me, just for just a moment, imagine with me the scene. You've been preparing yourself for two days now for the Lord to condescend and speak to his people. And you know that the Lord's going to speak to his people in a thick cloud. He's going to veil his holiness so that he can speak in this way. You awake in the morning. You're with your family. You're with your friends. You're under your shelter of some sort. And all of a sudden, you hear. You hear the thunders. You see the lightning. You feel the mountain trembling. You see, maybe you take a peek out from, from underneath the tent, and you see that the Lord has descended upon the mountain and fire, and that the mountain is up in great smoke, and that the mountain that you are beside is now trembling. I don't know if you've ever, like, you're on the beach, right, and you see a storm rolling in with great power. There's nothing compared to what we're seeing here and what we would be experiencing. Could you imagine the sight the sounds, the feeling of all of that, how, how just utterly terrifying that would be. Moses, when the trumpet blast happens, he is to lead the people in verse 17 up to, I'm sorry, up to the mountain. Remember, not to go up into it, but up to the mountain. What if the people from their camp said, no thank you, Moses, that's too much. The Lord is too holy I'll stay back. He is too fearful. I'll stay away. I think the, the other way in which they could profane the holiness of the Lord is to break his command to come near. Remember, the Lord invites them to come near to the mountain that they may hear the Lord speaking to Moses and may believe forever. But what if they stood far back because they didn't want to draw near? And I think that we, as people, are in danger of profaning the Lord's holiness in those two ways as well. Too often, we grow prideful and think that we get to come to the Lord and worship Him and serve Him and enjoy Him because of our morality, because of our righteousness, because of who we are. I know that this is a temptation. Working with youth, this is such a temptation for youth and teenagers. So teenagers, if you grow up in the church and you're living a life of relative morality, you see how the world is living out there, what the devil can do and what our flesh can do is we can be tricked and deceived into thinking that, well, yeah, of course I can come near to the Lord. I've been coming near to the Lord since I was carried in my car seat to go into the nursery at church. 
We become too familiar with the holiness of the Lord, and so then we profane it by thinking that we can come near in and of ourselves. That's not just a danger for teenagers who grow up in the church. That's a danger for us as believers who grow too accustomed to the things that we experience. Maybe we become too familiar with God. And so we begin to think, oh, the Lord's lucky to have me on his team. Of course I can come near to him. We become familiar with the holiness of the Lord and then disregard it, and we think of him as too little. But we can also profane the holiness of the Lord by not going near. Too often we as believers, we, we, maybe, we have a hyper-awareness of sin and guilt and shame. And so as guilt seems to sink us or crush us, and shame seems to be the thing that we carry and cannot let go, maybe the sins that we just cannot seem to, to just stop being aware of or thinking of, we think it would be better if I remained far off from the Lord. It would be better if I get my life together just a little bit, and then I'll go near. I just sinned against the Lord. There's no way I can read my Bible right now. There's no way I can go to the Lord in prayer. Would the Lord hear my prayer after I've just sinned against the Lord and rebelled against him for the hundred thousandth time? The sin that I continue to repent of, but continue to go back to time and time again. Let me just remain far off. That is a disregard for the holiness of the Lord. The Lord sent his Son the ultimate condescension that we see in Scripture is Jesus coming near to sinners to take upon himself the weight of our sin, all of our guilt, and all of our shame, and he despised it all. But for the joy that was set before him, he endures the cross. If we think that it is some, some just piety or righteousness of our own that we ought to stay back when we've sinned against the Lord, we are profaning the holiness of the Lord in the person of Jesus Christ. We are saying that his sacrifice for us is not enough. Would we disregard the blood of Jesus in that way then and remain far off? Oh, we ought to go near to the Lord in his holiness but we do so in Jesus Christ, not in ourselves. We go pleading and confessing the blood of Jesus and what he does and what he accomplishes for us. Lastly, we see this. Exodus 19 ultimately points us forward to a better Moses and a better mountain. A better Moses and a better mountain. In Exodus 19, one of the things that we see there that we touched on just a little bit there in the previous point is that Moses is to consecrate. He is to set apart the people. It's not a work they can do in themselves. He's to consecrate the people. He's to set them apart, as the Lord tells them to. So we see in Exodus 19, Moses consecrates them. He's the one who brings them near the mountain in verse 17. He causes them to come and stand before the mountain. He is the mediator receiving the word of the Lord for them, but they can't come up the mountain themselves. They are not allowed. They are not allowed to go up. What we see in Exodus 19 is the giving of the law and the old covenant. 
The law and all the commands that are given cannot make people righteous. They cannot make dead people come alive. Something better needs to happen. They can't make sinners, the law cannot make sinners holy. But Exodus 19 points us to a better Moses as well. In Ephesians chapter 5, we see that Jesus would lay down his life for the church in order not to consecrate his people, but to make them holy, without spot, without blemish, that he might present them to himself. Oh, we will stand before a holy God. We will stand before a holy God as those who have been made holy by our Savior, by our Redeemer. In John chapter 14, verse 6, we see that Jesus doesn't point some secret pathway up the mountain so that we can get to God, but rather in John 14, 6, Jesus says that he is the way. There is no other way to God the Father other than through Jesus Christ the Son. And Jesus Christ has come, that he would be the way for us to God the Father. And in Hebrews chapter, I'm sorry, yes, Hebrews chapter 8, we see that he is the mediator of a better covenant, not like the old covenant, but in the new covenant, we see that the Holy Spirit, he would take the words, the law, the word of God, and write it not on tablets of stone, but on our hearts, so that our hearts come to want and desire the Lord, and want and desire righteousness, and no longer want and desire sin that we would come to know that the Lord is our God and we are his people, and that we would come to know him, not just be told about him, but that we would come to know him. And that happens through the Spirit's work in our lives. But not only that, in this new covenant, we don't have to go and continually make sacrifices, trusting in the, the blood of animals, but rather we can trust in the finished completed work of Jesus Christ as he pours out his blood once and for all for sinners who would come near to him. Jesus is the better Moses, but not only that, Exodus 19 also points us to a better mountain. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12 as we close. There is so much in Hebrews chapter 12, 18, verse 29 that we cannot go into. So I'm just going to try and touch on just a few things that we see here that we ought to see in relation to Exodus 19. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. So for you, that is you who are in Christ Jesus, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the, endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, 
the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Mount Sinai represents the old covenant and the law by which we are not allowed to go near and go up to a holy, holy, holy God. But Mount Sinai represents I'm sorry, Mount Zion represents a new covenant and a better mediator, our Savior, our Redeemer, the one and only Son of God, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life so that we could be brought near. We are not brought to this old mountain that we cannot approach, but rather, in and through Jesus, we come to Mount Zion. It's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We come and we... we we recognize that we are saved, not just, not just to this body, but as we come and worship the Lord, we do so with all the saints who have gone on before us. And one day we will join them in our worship to our Savior and to our Redeemer. And we come to Jesus, our mediator, who awaits us, who, who spurs us forward, who strengthens us, who encourages us. But then we get this warning in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him. The invitation for all of us is not to refuse the one who speaks. The Lord condescends in grace and mercy in, in mercy in Exodus chapter 19 that they may believe forever. The Son of God condescends to us and veils his glory and his holiness in human flesh in order to bring us to himself. If those who refused the warning of Exodus 19 didn't go unpunished, what will happen to those who refuse as Jesus speaks? If you are apart from Jesus and in sin, if you would remain far off, you are able to come near and know the throne of God, not as a throne of judgment, but as a throne of grace and mercy because of Jesus. If you are apart from Jesus today, would you see that the God of the Bible is a holy, holy, holy God, and you have no right to draw near to him, but the glorious gospel is this, is that he is drawn near to you. Do not refuse him who speaks. And for those of us who are believers, who have come to the Lord, and we are those who are awaiting the new heavens and the new earth and the fullness of Mount Zion. 
if that is us, then let us live our lives in acceptable worship to our holy, holy, holy God who has graciously redeemed us through Jesus. Let's pray, and then we'll close in the song. Most holy God, we again thank you that you and your holiness, while you have every right to not come near to us and to leave us as we are, completely and totally deserving judgment and your wrath because of our sinful rebellion against you, you, Lord God, have come near to us. God, we thank you that in love you would send your Son. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in obedience to the Father and for the love of your people, you would come near to sinners, to those who are lowly, to those who are broken, to those who are needy, to those who know that they need a Savior. And you would lay down your life and allow your blood to be spilled so that we could be cleansed and forgiven and know that our sins are dealt with. So, Lord God, would you give us grace to know and be assured of the fact that we can draw near before you. We can know your presence in our lives. And, Lord God, would you give us grace not to profane your holiness by being prideful and think that we get to know you because of who we are and what we have done. And Lord God, would you give us grace not to profane and disregard your holiness by refusing Jesus, by remaining far off and not allowing our sins to be dealt with. So would you give us grace to come near to Jesus, the mediator of a better covenant, the one who would draw us near, the one who is the way, the one who would make us holy, the one who brings us to you. Lord God, would your spirit powerfully be at work in those ways in our lives that we would offer up to you acceptable worship to you who are a holy, holy, holy God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.